0: Merry Christmas. Um, I love this season. Uh, Isaiah 9-6, familiar verse for this Christmas time, it says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We took our kids to see Christmas lights in our neighborhood just this past week, and my five-year-old son, Dex, would not stop talking. Just constant. I see Santa. There's a reindeer. There's baby Jesus. There's the Grinch. Oh, those are funky monkey lights. Just nonstop t- talking. He even told my wife. My wife was getting upset. And he, she said, just be quiet for a second, okay? You're talking way too much. And then he said the only time I don't want to talk is when I'm sleeping. <laughs> and we're like, no son, it doesn't work that way. Shut it down. Um, and I drive past all these houses all the time, but I don't have the same sense of awe and wonder that my five-year-old does as going through this, this, this neighborhood. Uh, but we do this all the time, beyond lighting, uh, Christmas lights. Take, for example, Yosemite. Uh, how many of you guys have ever gone up to Yosemite? Okay, most of us. Um, did you know that people from every continent on the planet, fly thousands of miles to go see Yosemite. It's absolutely majestic, breathtaking. It's an hour and a half drive. And every time you go there, you probably think, I need to come here more often, and then we don't. Ten years later, we may go back again. It's so close. I have two friends from New Zealand. They live where Lord of the Rings was filmed, okay? The most beautiful landscapes you could ever imagine. And they came here and they go, we got to go to Yosemite. And when they made that turn through the tunnel, they were blown away by the majesty of it all. Our familiarity or even our proximity to something can affect the shocking and majestic nature of it. Yes? I think that's what we find during this season. We've heard the Christmas story before, right? We know what's going to happen. There's no room in the inn he's born in a stable, he got laid in a manger, okay, I saw the movie, I read the book, Uh, we're familiar with it. I pray that this season, that though it is familiar, that we might begin to experience this story anew, perhaps in a fresh new way for the first time. Uh, Here's a picture of a woman named Sarah. Uh, She was rich. She inherited 20 million dollars, She had an additional income of $1,000 a day until the day that she died. Now, that's a lot of money to any day, especially now, but in the 1800s, it is just an enormous, exorbitant amount of money. Uh, She was well-known. She was the belle of New Haven, Connecticut. There was not a party or a ball in the northeast of our nation unless she was there. She was powerful. Her name and money would open up any door in America. Colleges wanted her donations, politicians wanted her support, organizations sought her endorsement. She was rich, she was well-known, she was powerful, and she was miserable. Her only daughter died at five weeks, and then her husband passed away. She was left alone with her name, her money, her memories, and her guilt. She moved west, searching for some kind of peace, some kind of longing, She bought an eight-room farmhouse and an adjoining 160 acres around it. She hired 16 carpenters and put them to work. For the next 38 years, craftsmen labored every single day, 24 hours a day, to build a mansion. Now, the instructions from Miss Sarah were absolutely insane. They were eerie. They had a macabre touch. Each window had to have 13 panes, each wall, 13 panels, each closet, 13 hooks, each chandelier, 13 globes. The corridors were even more ghoulish. They snaked randomly, sometimes leading to nowhere, sometimes leading to to a ceiling, other times to a 50-foot drop-off. One set of stairs uh, had no door. There was trap doors, secret tunnels. This is the only known picture of Sarah, Miss Sarah Winchester. The making of this mansion only ended when Sarah died. It was over six acres, six kitchens, 13 bathrooms, 40 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 52 skylights, 467 windows, 10,000, 467 doors, 10,000 windows, 160 rooms. There were and still are rumors of ghosts taking residence in this 160 rooms. Who comprised these phantoms? Native Americans and soldiers killed on the U.S. frontier. They've been killed from bullets of the Winchester rifle, of which Sarah made her millions. The Winchester family made its fortune, sending more than 8 million rifles all over the world. It wasn't crazy to think that these ghosts are what haunted her. This guilt plagued her in her own home. You can see this poltergeist palace in San Jose. It's only a two and a half hour drive. The Winchester Mystery House. Uh, Sarah Winchester had all the money in the world and she kept building and building, searching for a peace that forever eluded her. How many Sarah Winchesters do we know? People who are building and building and building, searching and searching for a peace that is just beyond their grasp. We're all searching for peace this Christmas, and we're going to take the next three weeks and point towards the Prince of Peace. We'll look at Jesus this Christmas season. This morning, we're going to focus in on the peace of God, this inner peace that God gives us. And then next week, we'll be looking at becoming a people of peace amidst a world of violence. And then the last week of the series, we'll look at peace within our own relationships and conflicts. And then we hope you would join us at our Christmas Eve service at 4 o'clock on the 24th. It's going to be just an incredible, incredible time pointing towards this baby in a manger. Now, after Jesus had died, he was resurrected three days later, and he appears to his disciples in the upper room. John 20 tells us this story. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.'" After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Luke tells the same story in chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus has been dead. Not like three, 30 minutes dead, like three days dead. Uh, The disciples are losing their minds. The one that they had given everything to follow, they gave everything up to follow this promised Messiah, was crucified by Rome. What's next for them? How do they go on? The totality of their being is in chaos and turmoil. And they're in this upper room, wrestling with it all. Their hearts are in shambles, and Jesus appears to them and says, Peace be with you. Now, Jesus had three days in the grave, to think about what the first words he's going to say to the disciples. He didn't just wing it. Uh, he, 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 his first words are the same words that he speaks over us 2,000 years later. Peace be with you. Uh, peace comes before the commission of his disciples, before the promised Holy Spirit, the, before he explains uh, why he had to die and be resurrected. Peace comes before all of that. The risen Christ begins with peace. Now, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. Parts of it are in Aramaic. But the, the Greek word for peace is the word irene. Irene, and it means peace, harmony, tranquility, safety. And it's mentioned 92 times in the New Testament. 92 times. Uh, the Hebrew word you're probably familiar with is Shalom. Shalom, peace, well-being, prosperity, wholeness. It's 236 times mentioned in the Old Testament. The Bible is the book about peace. Now, if you look at the last 2,000 years of Christian history, we kind of tell a different story, right? Lots of violence done in the name of Jesus. That's the sermon for next week. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 6. We're going to camp out in this awkward, uh, unique story of Gideon in this time of extreme violence in the Old Testament. And we're just going to kind of walk through it and see what God may have to say to us about this piece. Look at Judges 6, verse 2. It says this. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So the people of God here are in a terrible spot. They're hiding in caves. There's only two sources of food crops and livestock. And all these enemies, too numerous to count, begin to destroy all of that. They're hiding in caves. This is a dire situation. Hope is lost. Their death at the hands of their enemies is only a matter of time. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah. Not Oprah. That belonged to Joash the Abizrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon here is harvesting in secret. He found a spot where none of the bad guys can find him, that he's living in a cave, and he's got a spot where he's kind of dividing some of the crops to help feed the people who are starving. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Ever been there? Uh, the Lord is with you. Oh, yeah? Well, then how come everything is going wrong and continues to go wrong no matter what I do, say, or pray? And he says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. Interesting here, this angel of the Lord shows up, but he doesn't have wings or a sword or fire from heaven. The angel of the Lord shows up as just some random guy, right? And Gideon is not alarmed by this guy. Gideon would have been alarmed if he showed up with a sword or looked like some kind of heavenly being, but he just looked like a guy. And interesting that this angel of the Lord seems to be just a regular old Hebrew because if he looked different than the Hebrews, this would have immediately alarmed Gideon who's hiding from everybody else. And so this angel of the Lord appears as just an everyday Joe okay? A regular guy, a Hebrew. Many scholars believe that the term angel of the Lord, in reference in the Old Testament, is actually referring to a pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus, before we get to Bethlehem in the manger, 2,000 years before Jesus, 1,500 years, God shows up as a regular Joe in the midst of his people's distress. I was talking to a guy in our church a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me how he kind of began to follow and began to give his life to Jesus. And he said this, he said, "'I began my relationship with Jesus, "'and to me, Jesus wore a hat backwards. "'And he wasn't there to judge me, "'but he loved me unconditionally, "'and we started hanging out.'" Now, some might say to this young believer, "'You know, that's bad theology. You're making God into your own image, what you want God to be like, but that's not really what God's like. Or is it just Jesus meeting us where we are? I think it's the latter. Sometimes Jesus meets us wearing a backwards hat when we're struggling to stay sober. Sometimes Jesus heals us from wrathful images that we've been painted about what God is like. Sometimes Jesus shows up in our everyday So, this angel of the Lord walks by Gideon, who's harvesting and and hiding, and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, How? God's not around me. There's no way. We live in caves, all of our food's gone. The, The Lord is not with us. Verse 14. The Lord, notice now that the Bible refers to this angel of the Lord as just the Lord now, turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? "'Pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? "'My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, "'and I am the least in my family.' "'The Lord answered, I will be with you, "'and you will strike down all the Midianites.' "'Gideon replied, "'If now I have found favor in your eyes, "'give me a sign that it is really you talking to me.'" He's saying, is that really you, God? Ever had that prayer with the Lord? You might feel a stirring, something speaks to you, maybe it's a sermon, maybe it's a song, maybe it's a verse of the Bible, maybe it's just your circumstances, and you pause and you say, is that really you, God? Let me know if it's really you. Gideon's having that same experience. He has that kind of throughout his life. But in verse 18, he says this, "'Please do not go away until I come back "'and bring my offering and set it before you. "'The Lord said, I will wait until you return. "'Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, "'and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. "'Gideon leaves the threshing floor "'and then he makes a meal for this angel. "'He puts on an apron, he slaughters a goat.'" He sets the oven to 375, the whole nine yards. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. God accepted the meal. God accepted the hospitality of Gideon. He didn't need the meal. He wasn't hungry. It wasn't a long journey for him. But he stayed and waited for hours while a goat is slaughtered. And this whole meal is prepared. And Gideon comes back and brings it to him. And he's still waiting by Oprah's tree. Um, it's like when I'm in the garage fixing something. And my son Dex gets his plastic toy tools, right? Right? And he goes, I'm going to help you fix it. And I go, all right, son. So we're out there, and, and he's like, I'm fixing it. And I, he goes, what can I do? And I go, oh, just, I need you to hit that hammer right on the, on the ground like, like 17 times. And so then he's got his plastic hammer, and he just hammers the ground, counts to 17. And he's like, what's next, Dad? And he's helping me. He loves it. And just two weeks ago, I was fixing something in the garage, and the garage door is open, and he's out there helping me. And two kids riding a bike in the, from the neighborhood ride right past us and Dex sees these kids, and he yells at them, hey, I'm not gonna play with you guys. My dad and I are taking care of business here. Uh, We're fixing things. And they're like, riding by going, we weren't gonna ask, but that's cool, you know? And my son loves it. He's working so hard for something that is so unnecessary for me, right? It actually makes the whole process of fixing anything so much longer but I'm meeting him where he's at. God's doing the same with Gideon. God does the same with us. Sometimes he shows up with a backwards hat on and we're like, hey, wait there, I'll get you something good to eat. And God's like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. And he waits and he accepts our gifts and our offerings. Look at verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Now God's speaking, but yet the angel disappeared. So I don't know how God is doing this. Maybe from the sky, we don't know. But it says peace. The Lord says peace to him. Do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, the altar still stands. How can Gideon make an offering to the God of peace when all hell is breaking loose in his own life? He's confronting this gloomy episode. He's going to set out to do warfare. There's darkness all around. How can he, in this condition, in these circumstances, declare God is the Lord of peace, Jehovah Shalom? It's because he understands godly serenity. He understands that the peace that God gives us is not in lieu of no bad things happening, It's in the midst of bad things happening that this peace is granted. What God promises us is to locate us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our gloomy days, and stroll into our inner being and speak peace to our souls. Even while everything around is unraveling and becoming disconnected, that's the peace that God promises. Peace is a sentiment in our souls. It's, it's that calm when we should be panicking. It's that, it's that how are you okay right now? It's that, it's that feeling in our hearts that says, I don't know what's going to happen next, but we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. That's the peace of God. God brings peace into our lives through Jesus. A baby in a manger 2,000 years ago. You notice in the New Testament, peace always follows grace. The Apostle Paul, he he authored much of the New Testament. In every one of his letters, he begins his letters with this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace, then peace. Every letter, except to Timothy. To Timothy, he says grace, mercy, and peace. But grace always proceeds. John 14, 27, Jesus says this to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This peace that we see in Gideon amidst chaos and darkness is not just a peace given to people in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just teach us what God did or what Jesus did. It teaches us what God does and what Jesus does presently. The peace that was offered to Gideon is offered to us today, this morning. Look at 2 Thessalonians. It says this, Now the Lord of peace himself gives you peace, always, by all means. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord of peace gives you peace, by all means. Now Paul describes this peace best by not describing it at all. Look at this verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, guys, let me describe this peace. You're not going to get it. Let me describe this peace of God. You will not understand. He describes it best by being unable to describe it. There's this statue that we've all probably seen of Atlas. Atlas is his name, and it's in front of um, St. Anthony's Cathedral. And by the way, when, I, when we put this picture in there, I didn't notice that Atlas is showing us some gluteus maximus as well. And uh, but so just like cover your eyes, okay? Um, and but Atlas here is this in front of this RCA building. In New York City, the skyscraper. And right across the street is St. Anthony's Cathedral. You can see the cathedral in the back. And Atlas is bearing the weight of the world, right? And he is tore up from the floor, but you can see the grimace on his face. And he is just oh, straining under the weight of the world that he is bearing. He is perfectly sculpted. He's strong. He can do this, right? Then across the street, St. Anthony's Cathedral is this picture, this this statue of the baby Jesus holding the world in his hands with a smile that only a baby can do. Here, We are Atlas trying to bear the weight of all the world on top of us. All of our problems, all of our worries, all of our insecurities, all of our issues, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, and we're straining under its weight. And the Sunday school song is still true. He's got the whole world in his hands. young man was eager to grow in his Christian life. He got a piece of paper, made a list of all the things he would do for God. He wrote down all the things that he would give up. Then he wrote down all the places he would go to minister, all the area of the ministry where he would serve. He was excited. He took that list, went to church, laid it at the altar. He thought he would feel joy, but instead he felt empty. So he went home and he made the list longer. He wrote down more things that he would do and more things that he would stop doing. He took the longer list, put it on the altar, but he still felt nothing. At this, he went to a wise old pastor and he told him the situation, he asked him for help. The pastor said this, he said, take a blank piece of paper, sign your name to the bottom of it, place it on the altar. And he did. And his life was never the same. The peace of God transcends understanding. Some of us have been giving our problems to God when what we need to do is give ourselves to God. I just think that's so true. God, take this situation. God, do this, do this, do this, do this. And God saying, I just want you. And he grants us a peace that whether we get our prayer or not, we're more peaceful, more loving, more Christ-like, more whole, more joyful, more full of the life that God desires for us. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. Bolton board out in the construction yard had this notice. In case of injury or accident, notify your supervisor immediately. You've probably seen these before. Um, And at the bottom of this notice, someone scribbled, he'll kiss it and make it better. (laughs) In case of accident or injury, notify your supervisor immediately. He'll kiss it and make it better. And all the guys in the yard had a good time with it.
1: Uh,
0: My son, Dex, has done two, that whenever he gets an alley, he runs to mom or to me, he kiss it, kiss it. And we kiss it, and we're like, is it better? And he's like, yeah. And I remember one time when he was two, he fell off the couch, and he fell on his booty, and he goes up to Sarah and I crying, and he goes, kiss it, kiss it. Sarah and I look at each other with eyes like, I think it's your turn now. The kiss isn't what makes our owie supernaturally feel better, right? It's the proximity to the person who loves us more than life itself. It's his proximity and his closeness with mom and dad that makes the owie feel better. And there will be more owies in our lives. There'll be more losses. But God gives us peace to handle those. God give us peace in the midst of that, just like Gideon. We're going to end with this familiar church hymn, It Is Well. And this whole week, it just rocked, this song has really spoke to me and rocked my life. Even that, that just that opening line, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, uh, no, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul, this peace amidst chaos. And so we're going to declare this together. And I just, uh, just earlier in our 930 service, and even now there's this, this, there's this presence of God that is, that is coming into our hearts when we shouldn't have peace, and he's granting it. He's giving it to us. And I know that even now, may that spark in our hearts, that whatever happens, I've got a peace. And it, and it doesn't make sense. Just like Paul, it's the peace that transcends all understanding. And so God, I pray in Jesus' name that, that it would be well with our souls because we know you hold the world in your hands. God, forgive us for the ways in which we have tried to bear the weight of the world On our shoulders, forgive us for the ways in which we've walked away. We haven't trusted your heart when we don't understand your hand. We pray peace, God. We pray that you would be the Lord of peace in our lives, in our hearts, in our city, in our homes, in our relationships. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? as we declare this loudly together. Oh. The past is the past.
1: Is nailed to the cross.
0: Over our circumstances. With my soul. We declare it over our marriages, over our jobs.
1: It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's sing that again.
0: Oh, it is well. Give us peace, Jesus.
1: With my soul.
0: No matter our surroundings, no matter our circumstances.
1: It is well my soul. It is, well, it is well
0: my soul. God, that's our prayer, That That in the midst of this season, in the midst of our worries, our anxieties, our fears, our struggles, that it is well with our souls. Holy Spirit, speak that into our lives. Speak that into our weeks. Speak that into our homes, God. May that still, small voice speak to us. Peace be with you. It'll be all right. We declare that it will be okay, that it is well.
1: Well, it is well
0: my soul. When we sing this last time together we declare it so in our lives. May it be so in our world. We thank you, Lord of peace, Prince of peace. Move in us this week, Jesus. Still our hearts. Still our hearts, God. God, I just sense that some of us are treading water and we're paddling in a panic and we just need to hold on to the rock in the middle of the water. Help us to have peace holding on to you and your strength rather than paddling frantically. Be our rock. Be our strength, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, a couple things before you guys leave. Next week, we're going to be talking about becoming people of peace in a world of violence. I can't wait. The next week after that we'll be talking about conflict and god giving us peace in the midst of that And how do we become peacemakers even in our own conflicts with people and then uh christmas weekend we have an incredible service planned where santa will be here and we have our kids performance it's and we have donuts and coffee it's just going to be great and then christmas eve this month of december uh, we just know god's on the move and we can't wait uh, enjoy your Sunday and uh, enjoy your afternoon as the Chiefs play the Raiders at one oh five. I can't wait. God bless you. Peace in the Middle East.